0: In at the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company.
1: We're in the center of the action. Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar, college football on all the TVs tomorrow. It starts early in Dublin. Nebraska and Northwestern goes all the way through the night with a Hawaii game. We bring in Michael Felder, college football expert from Stadium. Find him on Twitter at InTheBleachers. That Nebraska-Northwestern game, much of the story is about Scott Frost, the Huskers coach, Am I overdoing it with him saying he's on the hot seat, Mike?
2: No, I don't think you're overdoing it. He is on a hot seat. I think the biggest – these are the two biggest questions in this game for me. Question number one, can Nebraska score more than 16 points? That's a huge question, which is you look at their season a year ago and mostly they could not. So that's one of the things. The second question is how controlling is Scott Frost? His job's on the line. He hired Mark Whipple. We just mentioned Pitt. Pitt, offensive coordinator, is now the Nebraska offensive coordinator. How controlling is Scott Frost? How controlling is he going to be? Does he let Mark Whipple do his thing and just be himself, a guy who's been successful with the Steelers, successful with Miami, successful with Pitt? Does he let him do his thing, or does Scott Frost try to put his hands all over everything, like we've seen Will Muschamp do in the past at Florida, like we've seen Harbaugh do with Gaddis at Michigan? Uh, which is why a big reason why he left to go to Miami. So how controlling is Scott Frost going to be, especially with his job on the line? There's two ways to go with this. We've seen Muschamp be incredibly controlling, and ultimately he loses the job. And then we've also seen Dabo Swinney, with his job on the line, elect to be hands-off and let Chad Morris or Brent Venables handle everything. And so we'll see which one of those camps Scott Frost falls into because he's never been in this scenario before.
1: Interesting uh, trio of, actually there's four of them, uh, Mountain West Conference games coming out in week zero. I'm really intrigued by Wyoming, Illinois, because I keep reading about how Illinois has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I don't really love Tommy DeVito as a starting quarterback, and I will just tell you from watching Wyoming in this region, Wyoming plays physical football. They may be small, but they're willing to go in there and smack you in the face, and this uh, right now is about an 11-point spread. I'm not sure that Illinois can blow out Wyoming.
2: I don't think I can blow them out, but this is like a, it feels like a mirror match, right? Where we're two teams that they're like, listen, if this game is, if this game is 17 to 17 going into the fourth quarter, both coaches are going to be extremely happy. They're like, yeah, this is, this is the way I like football. This is what I like. This is what I got into to this industry for. So I think that as Illinois gets bigger and bigger and bigger, we're seeing the steps that Bielema is taking to get to where he was at Wisconsin. And we're seeing it kind of come into practice. I want to see what they look like. I can't wait to see what they look like actually out there on the field running around. And then on the other side, Wyoming, there's they're, – I, I hate to use the word scrappy, but Wyoming for me is a team that knows who they are. They have an identity. They understand who they are. They took some transfer hits, which is tough, but the reality for them is they know that they're going to go out. They're going to have one guy that rushes off the edge that they kind of let freelance. Everybody else is going to make good gap fits, and they're going to play solid football. Now, if you're Illinois, can you move them around? If you can move them around, then you can maybe blow them out. But if you can't move them around and these guys are sitting in those gaps and you're going to be punting a lot, just like they're going to be punting a lot. So this is going to be a really interesting football game. I can't wait to see um, uh, how they use Luke Ford, the tight end, in this scenario because he is super talented. I feel like he's been underserved, um, both between – Going to, I believe, Georgia and then coming back home and then not getting the transfer waiver and having to sit out and having to do all this stuff. So looking forward to seeing all those things kind of play themselves out. But this is a mirror match. This is two teams that want to play good defense, run the football, be physical, and we'll see what this looks like. I feel like a two-score game feels like a little bit too much.
1: Michael Felder's with us at In the Bleachers. We're doing a college football preview. Week zero is on the way. What do you think Jim Moore Jr. is going to do at UConn? They're catching 27 going out to Utah State.
2: This is a roster that I don't think anybody – who likes the roster at UConn?
1: Uh, I, you know, I'll tell you this. UConn fans were going crazy because they got a lot of Power 5 transfers, and I can tell you from the team I cover, UNLV, UNLV got a lot of Power 5 transfers. You know, Iowa State, Florida State, big-name schools – they've come in Tennessee with Harrison Bailey. They're not all starting. So this this notion that the power five guy who drops down to group of five is automatically a starter, is good enough or better than the existing players, it's not always a lock. So I don't know what all these, he got like 10 or nine power five transfers. I don't know if they're all in there playing a lot of time for Jim Ward Jr.
2: Yeah, they, lo- they left for a reason. And the reason was they weren't good enough to play or they didn't get along with the coaching staff or they didn't listen. And those are all, I think those are three different three different silos, but the rea- those are three realities. And if you don't listen to this coaching staff, why would you listen to the, no- the next one? Which means you're probably not going to get on the field. If you weren't good enough here, what makes you think you're going to be good enough here? Because all these guys are still good. And then the other one is you don't listen and you don't do what you don't understand the concepts that you're being taught. You're not going to magically start to understand the concepts once you get to a different school. So yeah. for me, I, I think that, We've seen some success from the portal. We've seen a lot. We've seen a lot more um, misses than we've seen hits, and so it's going to be interesting. Like everybody's not Jordan Addison, who I think will end up being a hit at USC. Most of these guys are like they're Michael Felders, and guess what, man? I just stayed at UNC and not played because <laughs> if I went somewhere else, I probably wasn't going to play either. So it just it's going to be interesting to see what it takes. I, for me, I'm really I'm a Logan Bonner fan. I'm looking forward to watching him play. I think that. I mean, the number is huge. It feels big for them, but the reality of it is is I think that they're a team that once they figure out who they're throwing the football to consistently, they're going to be really, really good offensively.
1: We start early in the morning with Dublin, and then we get the greatest thing in college football, which is the chase game for gamblers, and late-night college football fans get to watch a home game, Hawaii, and it's Vanderbilt. So, you know, Vandy needs to start getting – in the right direction, they're actually laying nine. This one opened at like one or two during the summer, and people have just pounded it up. And Hawaii's got a, you know a weird situation. Todd Graham was there; it was a, it wasn't a disaster wins loss wise, but culture sucked. Timmy Chang takes yeah. over, but we don't exactly know the the roster real well and what he's got to work with.
2: Well, they had so you want to talk about transfers? Goodness gracious, they had a lot of guys just kind of leave that program. And even when you go and look at the depth chart, it's like. Or you look at the roster, I'm like, this is a little bit shorter than uh, most other teams' rosters. Because they, they, they're fielding a full team for them is still interesting. So uh, when I look at Hawaii, obviously, um, we're going to see what – is it Braden Shager or Joey Yellen? One of those two guys are probably going to end up being a starter at the quarterback spot. We're going to get to see uh, – like, I want to see them throw the ball around. I want to see what Timmy Chang can do. This is his first time as a head coach. That's going to be really – it's not easy to do, and. I was talking to my buddy Steven Hartzell today uh, over at Learfield, and he, was, he mentioned Mike Wright for Vandy. He thought the reason Vanderbilt could be better this year was Mike Wright at the quarterback spot offering a little bit of mobility and the ability to push the ball down the field. Now, who's he going to push the ball down the field to? No clue. Absolutely none at all. So I asked him, why will Vanderbilt be better this year than last year? And he goes, well, I think better is probably they win three games instead of two games. But when you look at Vanderbilt's schedule... Have you seen their schedule? Ooh, buddy. They better make some hay in September. Because they got Hawaii, Elon, Wake. Wake is a team that's an interesting one because Sam Hartman is obviously out indefinitely with um, a non-football-related injury or non-football-related issue. So hopefully he's healthy and he's he's doing okay. And they play NIU. NIU can beat you because they're going to NIU. So Hawaii, Elon maybe NIU, maybe Wake. So maybe they can get those four. But then they go Bama, Ole Miss, Georgia. Maybe they can beat Mizzou. That might get them to five if all goes well. And then South Carolina could be the swing game if they can get those other five games in the tank. South Carolina could be a swing game for them. But the reality of it is, I mean, they got to play Georgia. They got to play Florida. It's, this is a this is a tough row to hoe for, um, for Vanderbilt if they want to get past the two, three win mark.
1: Barrett Salee, another college football expert, in previewing the Big Twelve, said uh, this conference is nine deep. They're all going to knock each other off. Uh, no one's going to get to the college football final four. Oklahoma's the favorite. Texas is next. Who else do you like? And do you agree with Barrett that no one's going to make a run where they're going to be in a position to make the final four?
2: Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think the Big Twelve is going to get a team in this year either. Um, I, I like Baylor a lot. Uh, I talked to Dylan Doyle. they one of their uh, team captains, starting linebackers. They're going to be stout up front. Front seven is going to be stout. And you're right. These guys are going to play. They play hard football. And I'm very curious to see what TCU looks like under Sonny Dykes. They got a potential first-round wide receiver. Max Duggan is back at the quarterback spot. So they're going to be a team that's going to be dangerous. And you throw in Oklahoma. Brent Venables mentioned it. He said it off the top himself. He said being a head coach is different. There's a bunch of stuff that he's like learning on the job. There's things he didn't know. He said it's like drinking from a fire hose. And so that'll be interesting to see. How Venables, Lebby, Dylan Gabriel, how those guys all work together to, to make sure the offense stays popping, but also how Venables fixes his defense. So that'll be interesting for me. Texas, I'm, I'm not a believer at all. I, I, like Not even a little bit. And <laughs> I'm sorry, but they need to prove every single thing to me, every step of the way, because I do not buy it. I do not believe it. I, I've watched Sark as a head coach. I've seen him be a head coach. He's a he's a seven win coach and if you go back and look at their games they went five and seven a year ago there were a couple games that could have went either way. People keep pointing to them having a top 20 scoring offense and I was like yeah but if you have to score 50 something points to beat Kansas you have other problems with your team and so listen their lead do you know how many sacks their lead sack getter got a year ago? two and a half. Oof. Yeah. You can't win college football games that way. It's not going to happen. So it's it's I'm just I'm just not a believer in in Texas at all.
1: Let's finish up this college football preview week 0 and the season with this question about coaching. Is the most impactful coaching hire going to turn out to be Jim Knowles? We're talking about winning a national championship here for Ohio State, fixing that defense, and then being on the level of Georgia and Alabama.
2: Have you been stalking me? <laughs> Sometimes I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's I think he's the best. I think this is the best hire in of the coaching like offseason. I think he changes this football team into something that's incredibly dangerous. Uh, he did it at Oklahoma State. And what they do, and I'm gonna try to, I'll be succinct, but what they do is. What he does is he plays everybody under 10 yards. The entire, the entire, all 11 guys are under 10 yards. Uh, and yes, there are variations in times that he doesn't, but the reality of it is the scariest thing you can do as a quarterback and look is look up and see, oh, they're all under 10. I should go over the top. They're playing cover zero. Cover zero means there's no safety over the top. So you have five people that can potentially catch the football, which means they have five people that will cover those people. That means they have six people that will be coming for the quarterback. And the way they do it is really interesting. Six guys coming for the quarterback, but sometimes they only bring four. And then the other two guys spring out to your hot routes to try to take those away, which is how they had some interceptions and confused quarterbacks, make them hold the ball a little longer. That allows their defensive line to get home. And then what they do is they take those 11 guys under 10 and on snap, they'll rotate it and they'll push hard, rotate into cover three okay, this is completely different than cover than cover zero. Now it's cover three, and they have umbrella coverage over the top. So when you think you're going to chuck and duck, they've got a safety that's over the top that's ready to take that ball away. So I really love that about them. I think with Ohio State, it's a mentality change. They, for so long, have been a team that lived off Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young. That was the catalyst that that got their defense going. Now it doesn't matter who it is. They're going to be kind of a like you know faceless, nameless, but guys that go make plays because everybody can do it. A safety that that's on a green dog can come down from seven yards, and as soon as that running back blocks to the right side, he's coming down to add to the mix, so that quarterback is not going to get away from him. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I think Ohio State wins the national championship. I think it's going to be them versus Alabama. Uh, maybe Georgia makes the playoff, but I think Utah is probably going to be in there as well. But wow. I'm very excited to watch this happen
1: hand in the dirt podcast college sports now podcast stadium expert he does it all michael felder glad to have you back college football is here baby
2: let's do it man let's have a good
1: time michael felder the college football insider for stadium also his podcast up on learfield hand in the dirt and college sports now giveaway time two tickets for luke bryant at resorts world three show set labor day weekend luke Bryan in town at resorts world if you don't win these tickets, you can grab your own at AXS.com. It's Luke Bryan tickets. Ari's got two of them right now, 364-1100, 364-1100, caller number 7.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Hooray! Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company.
1: Every Friday on Cofield and Company is a no-conflict Friday. I did not want to announce that at the beginning, but I guess i got to throw it out there now. Kind of a joke today because we've got the stuff going on with Matt Ariza. There's a lot of conflict there. He's got serious allegations being lobbed his way from back at San Diego State, and it doesn't look like he's playing tonight. He is at the game for the Bills, but Matt Barkley was punting in warm-ups. One of the backup quarterbacks, yep. Why would you punt? It's a preseason game. Just go for it. That's them. a
3: good point. You know what I mean? Just go for it on it's fourth It's a meaningless down. game.
1: How would that be? How crazy would that be with betting lines? You know, obviously everyone's betting into conventional thought. Hey, they have a punter, and then all of a sudden before the game, no punter, and they're going for it on every fourth down.
3: Uh, I would, yeah, that's interesting.
1: Be cool, right? There's a lot of people. I don't, I don't know if that would be. Uh, oh, in game would be jacked up. That'd have to be some quick adjustments, right? But even with Barkley, who knows if he's the guy punting, I mean, he might average 18 punt, or 18 yards of punt tonight. It's dropped down to five from six. Why Carolina's wouldn't, you, why favorite, wouldn't you just experiment with, like, a lot of your fourth down plays,
3: even with your backups? I, I mean, I would, or not even just, like, experiment with your fourth down plays. Just screw it. Go for it. All it's right. an extra snap. Be more aggressive but, on yeah. third down. Who cares if you lose the game? It'd be an interesting way to run a game. And, like, it's because here's the other thing, too. I don't think people realize, like, how much experimenting goes on in the preseason. I saw a lot of people, I think it was week one or two of the preseason, where Brian Dable declined a penalty so that he would force the other team to kick. And everybody was like, why would he do that? This moron. He oh, ho, ho. is. Like, no. Like, he clearly just wants to get his team back on the field, doesn't care what happens. It's practice. Same thing here. Just go
1: for it on fourth down every time. it be a lot of fun. Totally down with that. So, no conflict Friday. We got the Arise stuff going on. We've got Stephen A calling out Schefter. We'll get to that in the five o'clock hour over Aaron Donald and labeling his helmet swinging as assault. And then we saw a real battery, at a high school football game in Mississippi. A high school football game in Mississippi. And the initial videos I saw of this weren't great, but a lot of people in the stands at this game got some pretty good video. The sound's not great, but I'll give you the root of how this started. So there's there's a football coach, I think, from Vicksburg. No, check that. Was it Heidelberg? Heidelberg. Get it right, high there. school. Yep, Heidelberg. There's a lot of Bergs here. Uh, there is a lot. Heidelberg High School sitting in the stands of another game, and I, I think he's, I think he's lit. I'll say, allegedly, by like, drunk because because like, he, oh, he's acting like an idiot. Wait. So he's up in the stands. He's around the fans who are actually watching this game. He's he's not part of either high school. I guess he's just out watching high school football, Scout, maybe baby. scouting. Maybe well, he's hammered. I think so. I don't know how much scouting he's doing, but he just starts yelling about the one team losing and. You gotta, you gotta listen in here, and we'll explain what happened. But this starts a clash. Get your ass kicked by a four A school. Damn, if you gonna come over and watch football game, shut your damn mouth. I was there. Come on, out the parking lot, get my ass kicked. So you hear it. You're getting your ass kicked by a four A school. It drops the B. Huh. Then another guy's like, if you're gonna, you know, act like an idiot get out of here, and the guy's like, I'll whoop your ass, the original guy who was yelling, and the other guy's like, all right, let's go out to the parking lot. And nope. then from there – He said, you come on they're, down they're, to the parking lot. They're both pretty big guys. The football coach is a pretty big guy. He, he starts walking down the stairs. The other guy turns his back because he's like – he is fully intent on going out to the parking lot and fighting. But then the mistake here was the, the aggressors coming down the stairs gets too close to the other guy, and the other guy's like – he bumps him. And he, he's, like, right up against him. The other dude, I, like, he's got a, he must have been a wrestler in the past because he grabs a leg, and then he grabs two. And he gets a double leg and drops him on these metal bleachers. And that, now the guy's kind of pinned between the rail and the stairs. And, like, his head's at the other guy's stomach, and the other guy's just, like, boom, with right hands. And then he's in anime territory, so a bunch of people come in. They're grabbing the guy who came down the stairs and not really grabbing the other guy. Yep. Just letting him wail on him. Yep. And it went on for a while. And when he got up, if you watch him walking down the stairs, he's a little groggy. And then they got a picture of him going out, and it's like Ric Flair. Like in Ric Flair's final match in about, a, whatever, 5,000 matches, Ric Flair or Dusty Rhodes, you know, when they freaking slice their head open, he has like the crimson mask down his face, all because he decided. He is a varsity football coach, all because he decided to go to another game, probably get lit. And starts yelling about a team getting their ass kicked. And then it's like, yeah, let's fight. Like, bro, you were not ready to fight. Of course his name is Jimbo. It is what, Jimbo Howell? Noel. Noel. Jimbo Noel. Jimbo Noel. Noel.
3: (laughs) I thought, like, look, I thought if you were going to start something, it was a really lame attempt. Because like you said, he just kind of walks into a takedown and and puts up no resistance in any way, shape, or form, gets wrecked. And then gets escorted out and loses his job. you know what I mean? Like, it was
1: – I L- didn't see the, upta- uh, the update on this. Oh, I
3: thought he did. Let me, I could be wrong. Let me uh, – okay, don't quote me on that. Been, I, I could be wrong here, so do not quote me on that. Okay, he was an assistant during the 2020 season. So, it sounds like he was not an assistant currently when this, uh, when this went down.
1: I think he's gotten a head coaching job since. I think he's head coach in another school, so now they're going to have to make a decision how important is this guy because, unfortunately for him, you're on video, dude. Yeah, but, Steve, this didn't happen on the field
3: under the lights. And if we've learned anything from Aaron Donald, it's that this has to transpire
1: on the field under the lights for this to be a serious offense. You've never played the game, Steve. You don't understand. I'm not saying I can fight in public because I've been punched in the face and had bottles thrown on my head, and a lot of times it's a lack of awareness or being the aggressor. And not like fully scoping the area, but that this guy did. Like I said, I don't think he was of right mind, and he thought he was going to go down and intimidate the guy because he's a big guy. But the other guy was big, and the other guy was like, "All right, you're going to close space and body me up. I'm taking you down." Man, he couldn't get up. Once he was down, he couldn't get up, and he just got walloped. And the crowd enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't think he was. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he was all the way there.
3: Should he be fired? I'd say yeah. It's pretty bad behavior, especially if you're. Look, I know this is sports and football in the south. If you're going to be around young kids, which he is if he's going to be a high school football coach, you can't have your you can't have your high school football coach your head coach doing this kind of nonsense.
0: Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs>
1: I got a plan every time I get up to the line, based off of what you're doing, then I put my Terminator mask on, and if you right here in, in, in front of me, I drop down a scroll, three ideas or something that I want to do based off of, and this is pre-snap. Plan B kick in based off what you do. If you in front of me and I make you feel like I really want to get inside, and I really show you everything that, sh- that looks like I'm getting inside, you got to respect that, and if you don't, I'm going
0: to go inside. It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Rout on Cofield and Company.
1: Moving past the halfway point of the show here on a Friday, we close out the Monday to Friday slate of this show at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. That was Devontae Adams on the way back, and I want to jump right into that with Stanford Rout, the former Oakland Raider defensive back. Stanford, how you doing, buddy?
0: Pretty good, pretty good, man. How you guys, man? Happy Friday to you.
1: Uh, we are super happy Friday because we got college football tomorrow, week zero, so I'm completely stoked about that. What uh, Devontae Adams was saying there coming in about having a plan at the line and then making adjustments, kind of explain that. I know it sounds very basic, but uh, is that every receiver? Is it only the special receivers? And then how do you counter that as a defensive back?
0: Oh, wow, it's funny that you say that. And, and just hearing that, the, rain, the words raining from the late, great Willie Brown, my DB coach for several years while I was an Oakland Raider, just ringing my head. And I simply say that because every time you get up to the line of scrimmage, you have to have a plan. So what Devontae Adams is saying is that based on what the corner is going to be doing, whether it's outside leverage, inside leverage, he has to have a plan as to how he's going to set that corner up, whether he's going to fake outside and go inside, whether it's going to be vice versa, whether he's going to fake inside and go outside, he's got to have a plan as to how to beat that DB. You can't just line up and just say, oh, well, you know, run past the guy. It's not that simple. So he definitely is a technician. We all know that. And due to him being a technician, he knows exactly how he's going to set you up. And you do that by having a plan before you get up to the line of scrimmage.
3: Stanford what's the flip side of that? Because you as a defender, right, you're more reactionary. You've got to react to what's happening in front of you. He lines up. He knows what the play is. So what is your plan of attack as a DB who doesn't know what they're going to throw at you?
0: Well, my plan of attack is based on my leverage. It's based on knowing exactly where my help is. Do I have inside safety help? Do I have safety help over the top? Am I in zone coverage? Am I in man coverage? Things of that nature. And based on me knowing all of that, I now know where my weaknesses are. I know where I'm vulnerable at. So if I have lower safety inside help, I can be hard on the outside because I know that he's going to be running to a low hole player, should I say a linebacker in the short middle field, a safety deep middle field, things like that. So you have to have a plan based on your leverage based on where you know that you're going to be vulnerable at based on where you know, you have the weaknesses of the defense of the coverage at, and things like that. So there's never a time where you should get up to the line of scrimmage as a guy on the edges and simply just be out there playing like you're like you're in Sandlot ball.
3: Where were you best at? Were you a man or a zone guy?
0: Oh, I was definitely man coverage. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. man coverage in Oakland. Come on. Come John. on. Now. You guys got to know that.
1: I mean, what are you doing? We had a Happy Friday. And now that everything went south, uh, who was the receiver or receivers that you you know, you tried to have a read on but they always made good adjustments that you had trouble with?
0: Oh wow. I probably would say the San Diego Chargers receivers uh, uh, Vincent Jackson, uh, Malcolm Floyd, and I guess a lot of that had to do with Noel Turner being their head coach for so long and having Philip Rivers one of the best ever. That was probably two guys that I just always struggled to kind of get a beat on. I made interceptions against the Chiefs, I made interceptions against the Broncos, uh, but th- I'd probably say those two just off the top of my head. Were probably uh, two of the tougher ones to figure out, just based on the quarterback, the play caller, and also that they were both shooting guards playing receiver, and that was always difficult. Anytime you're a corner playing against the taller guys that can run.
1: I gotta ask you about Ryan Clark this week, a former NFL defensive back who's moving into the media, and he was doing a podcast, and he had Derwin James on, and he made a comment about uh, Hunter Renfro. James did. And Clark responded, well, "Really? Like that guy's tough. He's one of the top receivers. The the the, the little accountant." And Darwin James is like, "Turn on the film, bro." <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, so 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 what? Are you asking me? or Are you making a statement? Like, uh, like what are you I'm, doing? Steve?
1: I'm I'm asking you when Ryan Clark is like the accountant. Like, Ryan, what are you doing? I mean, the guy the guy when I'm not saying he's you know is he a top five receiver in the NFL? No. Has he proven himself now at least at least as one of the better number two receivers? Um, to kind of diss him like that I thought was a little ridiculous.
0: I think, I think Ryan is looking at it from a standpoint of who he could probably beat in a street fight or somebody that he could go ahead and take their head off if they're coming across right. the middle. So right. when you're thinking of a Hunter Renfro, who's obviously not that big, he's miniature in stature, but he's quicker than a hiccup, I think Ryan Clark is looking at it more from a how he's not big enough to be quote-unquote tough. But I think Derwin James is looking at that from a different standpoint. So I think R.C. is probably just more so looking at it from that masculine, from that girth type of standpoint as far as if you're big, then you have the ability to be tough. And if you're not that big, then you – had the inability to try to be tough if uh in, in, in all regards.
3: Really quickly, uh correction. He called him the encyclopedia salesman.
1: Oh the encyclopedia
3: <laughs> salesman. Yeah, yeah, not yeah,
1: an yeah. account. I'm I'm sorry about that. By the way I like you asking me. You're like, are you making a statement or you got a question here, Bro? Let's go. <laughs> uh, I
0: mean yeah like I mean Hunter Renfro does not look he does not look physically imposing. No, but doesn't. neither did Wes Welker. Neither did Dion branch neither did so many slot receivers that have come through this league and been very, very successful. So I understand where RC is coming from when you You look at Hunter Renfro, he does look like an accountant. He looks like, you know, somebody who would do your taxes. But you put that guy on a football field, you put him with a good quarterback, and you look at some of the routes that he runs where he runs, where he has three different moves all within one pass route, that right there is what makes him very tough to guard. And aside from what R.C. said, Yes, Hunter Renfro was a tough player. Did you see that tackle that he made when he was on punt return and the Raiders were not lined up correctly against the Los Angeles Chargers on Monday Night Football? And he ran over there to go ahead and break the pass up when the punter tried to uh, throw it to the gunner who was wide open. That is what makes him tough.
3: I would also think, Stanford, I mean, because I'm watching the video right now. It would kind of be insulting in a weird way to Derwin James because he's telling him this guy's a challenging receiver, and Ryan Clark's like the little encyclopedia salesman. He's telling him, Yeah, man, like I go up yes, against him, yes. watch him, I find him a challenging opponent.
0: <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and, and the thing is, because of RC and because of his stature, being a Super Bowl champion, playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, because of Derwin James being one of the best safeties in the league, just now the highest paid safety in NFL history, being the several Pro Bowls ever since he's you know, got drafted out of Florida State. Because of that, that's what gave him the ability to be able to go ahead and challenge R.C. on that. Because if that would have been a lesser player, they may would have still agreed with Derwin James, but they may not would have actually said that, disagreeing with Ryan Clark the way that they did. But because Derwin James being the stature that he is, he's kind of like, hey, bud, I don't know really what you're thinking about. I don't know what you're talking about, but turn on the film. Hunter Renfro is a tough receiver. And because it's coming from the mouth of Derwin James, Everybody is forced to go ahead and accept that. It's true, whereas if it would have been a lesser player, they may not have challenged Ryan Clark on it, or even if they would have said it, they may not have uh, the fans, the media, everybody listening to it may not have been an extreme believer of it.
1: It's Cofield and Company on Friday, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar, Stanford Routers on. And there's many reasons we have ex-players on. You guys bring a perspective that certainly we don't have at the highest level playing in the National Football League, which I wanted to apply on a couple of fronts here. First of all, Joint practices. We're watching the reports from the joint practice, and I didn't get to go down there because I was covering UNLV during the week, and I'm seeing New England media people, I'm seeing Las Vegas media people just raving about the Raiders receivers against the Patriots defensive backs, like to the point where you know you would think the, the Pats are just completely pathetic. Can you explain what goes on in joint practices sometimes? That, oh, that man. may that you may put of- Yeah, I mean but but it may put Certain people at a disadvantage, depending on what you're running, if it's one-on-one drills, if it's seven-on-seven, like everything you see in a joint practice isn't true football.
0: I wouldn't go, yeah, I'd, I'd, go, I'd go ahead and agree with that. Not everything is true football because you don't know exactly where that team is at within their training camp. You don't know where that team is at within their off season, where they still may be implementing different techniques. They may be implementing a certain part of their offense or defense where they're just simply trying this out to see how it works or simply trying a new a new drill trying a new technique things like that so even though you may see one team dominating it could simply be because the other team is simply trying something that they have not tried all preseason, all training camp and this is their time to go ahead and get that work in so obviously you want to dominate you want to play well in those joint practices but it is not always what it seems as far as if the New England Patriots were to play the Las Vegas Raiders in week one, not later on in the season, but in week one. It may not be that dominating fashion because we all know Bill Belichick is usually a couple steps ahead as far as his preparation, knowing what his players are good at, making sure that they do well, and make sure they get better at the things that they lack in. So it could be a myriad of reasons as to why one team dominates in a joint practice other than it just simply be that they're the better team.
1: Let's use your player experience on this one. We're seeing a lot of players come to the defense of practice helmet swinging by Aaron Donald saying, well, it's not a game, and we shouldn't police practices the same way we would a game. What's your reaction to Aaron Donald whipping around the helmets in the joint practice against the Bengals?
0: Well, that that right there, I need to see how it started. I need to see everything that led up to it, And I simply say that because whenever you have joint practices, you're playing against another team in practice, and because of that, it could be a setting where everybody is just studying up, or everybody is staying up, it's not live, it's not tackling. But see, you're playing at 70 percent because it's not live. He may be playing at 80 percent. So, all of a sudden, now you could be over there as a corner coming up to thud up a ball carrier. He may dip his shoulder and run you over. Well, now all of a sudden, everything just got juiced up in practice. Where now, okay, me as a DB, I'm now going to hit you and take you to the ground. I'm going to chop your knees out from under you. Because, see, apparently now we're playing real football. So, it's always very kind of tricky whenever you have those joint practices because both teams may be practicing at different speeds even though we're not going, quote-unquote, live. It, that's, where, uh, that's where the discrepancy comes in. And for an Aaron Donald, who by all accounts is not a dirty player, we, that's why I want to see exactly what led up to it, because we all know Aaron Donald, he ain't no punk. You go ahead and you do something kind of sideways to him, he's going to meet you right there, and you got to come see him. So I'm more inclined to think that Cincinnati may have done something that he did not agree with, and he simply standing his ground, or could just simply be a defensive end, a linebacker, getting into it with the Cincinnati Bengals offensive player, and Aaron Donald happens to get caught in the middle of it, and he's just simply defending himself. So that's why to just go ahead and automatically jump on the bandwagon of, oh, my God, he needs to be suspended for the whole year because he's swinging the helmet. We don't know what led up to that. We don't know what transpired before that. We don't know what preceded that. We don't know any of that. At least I have not seen any video that has just led me to that unequivocal proof as to what actually happened, and that's why I say that uh, uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say that he needs to be suspended, just because we don't know what really happened. Unless you are a part of that Cincinnati Bengals or that Los Angeles Rams practice.
3: But what, so, what do you make of though the people that are saying, oh, you know what? No, 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 this is different. This is practice. This is not a game, right? Regardless of the act, right? We both know he was swinging a helmet. There are people who are saying, "Oh, it doesn't matter that he was swinging the helmet. It was practice.
0: That's different I mean, from but, a game." But I'll say this. Because, so, for the Houston Texans, the Las Vegas Raiders, I don't know of any training camp where there's not been some sort of a dust-up between teammates in training camp. I don't know of any team that's ever had that. So, if we're going to get to that perspective, so, if two teammates are fighting each other on the same team, does the NFL step in and suspend them for that because they're fighting each other? So, I just think that once you start to get outside of game, and now we're talking about practice, joint practice, scrimmage, things like that. I think that you could possibly be opening Pandora's box as far as what comes next when the NFL is now stepping down to police what's going on in practice. That's why I would go ahead and give me cause to pause before I just automatically jump to that assumption or conclusion.
1: There have been some fights in, in training camp amongst teammates. Wasn't, didn't Roman Askey go after Marcus Williams in the past with, with with the Raiders and I I know uh, was it Michael Westbrook I can't believe I can't remember who he punched out it was a running back but might, might have been Steven what Davis about
3: Geno Smith? Remember he what, what's his face? Oh, Money. that's a good point.
1: Yeah, jaw the, broken. Yeah, the, but that, yeah. I don't know if that was training camp. That was a locker room thing or some like unpaid. Yeah, bat. I mean,
0: guys, that sort of thing happens, and I can tell you this: most coaches don't really, really hate it because think about it: your favorite player, your favorite team. You want them to have that same type of aggression on Sunday afternoon when they're playing against uh, an opposing team uh, in week eight. You want them to have that type of aggression. But then you want them to also not have it Monday through Saturday. That's not really how the NFL mind works. That's not how players work. They are in a zone. They naturally, by nature, are aggressive. Sometimes it's going to overflow a little bit. You've got to live with that if you want them to then have that same aggression on Sunday afternoon, and I think a lot of fans want you to be a jungle cat. They want you to be a lion or a tiger between the hours of 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Sunday afternoon, and then every other hour for the remainder of the week, they want you to be a house cat. That's not really how an NFL player is wired mentally. Yeah.
1: Well, we're, we're familiar with it in a very uh, testosterone-driven industry of uh, short slubs. Sports radio guys get in a fight sometimes, so I've been around about 10 or 11. <laughs> I've been around about 10 or 11 fights. I think I've only been physical in one, but I've seen guys spear to the ground a la Goldberg and people punch holes in doors, so it's, it's good times. We understand. We understand. In the in the in the, uh, the heat of the battle, things
0: happen. So, it is alumni weekend here. Where are you? <laughs> What's going on? All the oh, Raiders uh, are here. Uh, I definitely wish I could have made it out there. I'm doing my best to try to get out there tomorrow. For the event going on at the uh, the hotel, everybody just go ahead and mingle, get to meet each other, you know, be around each other. I love events like that. So, like I said, I wasn't able to go ahead and get there this time, but hopefully I'll be able to make it out tomorrow afternoon.
1: Stanford, you are the man. We appreciate it, especially the uh, the background stuff, you know, the football stuff that we don't see. <laughs> so now we know, you know, sometimes dust-ups happen. Thank you.
0: Thank you, guys, man. You guys be good. Be safe.
1: Big alumni weekend. They're giving out uh, commemorative towels. I think it's a 22 towel, and uh, dozens and dozens of old-timers are back in town. I saw a photo yesterday with uh, Villapiano and uh, Bolitnikov and Banizak with Mark Davis. They're all big guys still. (laughs) We all shrink a little bit as we get older, but former football players don't get that much smaller. They're all all big guys. They're all towering above uh, Mark Davis. But, yeah, it's a really good time, and no one does it like the Raider organization when they're bringing back the alums, the greats of the past. Uh, More college football breakdown coming up from uh, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bars. We'll get to uh, one of John's favorite picks of the week, is Vandy and the late game is going to be at Hawaii.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. It's Cofield & Company's eye on sports gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free.
1: Do you have a bet on the Niners or something involving Trey Lance? Because you were crowing a bit before the show about how poor Trey Lance has looked in the preseason.
3: Oh, well, I bet him under 10. So, after the first game, we were in 4-5 or for like, I don't know, 50 yards and a touchdown, or as the stupid term is, a tutty. I was worried. No, I know he stinks. I'll be good.
1: I don't think he's going to be terrible, but I think being super bullish on – The Niners winning, you know, like 12 or 13 games and winning the division. I don't know. I don't see it. And I and I have a lot of respect. Little Shanny is brilliant. So like, if anyone can make, he come around, huh? Well, he doesn't win all the time. He's a brilliant. He's a brilliant offensive mind. Well, you were resistant. He's a brilliant offensive mind. I don't know that they're great personnel people in general. They have to win. Right. They got to win at the highest level, and they've made a decision here to kind of pull off the scab. And I think it's going to take a little while before they can run the kind of offense they've been accustomed to running. Even with Jimmy G, Jimmy G is better right now than Trey Lance. Oh, I agree. Now that may change in four games. Maybe he gets used to it. They figure out his strengths. You know, they, They're a great running team. Um, you know, all that, the, the funny thing is in the offseason, all that stuff with Debo, like I don't want to run the ball anymore. Like, dude, you have to.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We have Trey Lance at quarterback. We have to use trickeration. You're an awesome weapon. You have to do it. And he got incentives in his deal that pay him to be a running back. No, I, look, I, for me,
3: when I, so I bet them under 10 because that's a number in terms of win total that tells you that's one thing. It's Kyle Shanahan, and I think that's overvalued. Like, Kyle Shanahan's really good at his job. I echo everything that you're talking about. But to trust Trey Lance, who in five appearances, I think it was, in two starts last year, did not look great and has looked uneven and inaccurate this year in these preseason games as well, to now say, no, this team's
1: got to win 11 or more games. Like, mm, sorry, I'll pass.
3: Give me the under. and I, Well, give me the under. I took it.
1: College football week zero tomorrow. Starts in Dublin early our time, 9, 930 in the morning, Northwestern, Nebraska. Late night, Malice Conference team is in action. Hawaii, we love these late night games, against Vanderbilt out of the SEC. Vandy has jumped from a small favorite to over a touchdown. I think people are making a mistake here. I do too. This was two and a half
3: in the summer when this opened up when we first got this schedule, or these numbers were at least. Now we're at nine and a half because Vanderbilt, like, I don't know what. I get it. Like, look, Hawaii's roster is kind of in shambles, and it's a really bad situation, and it looks like they're going to be a relatively bad team. At the same time, uh, your guy Brad Powers I had a great stat the other day when, we were, when I was filling in for it yesterday. Uh, it is a farther, It is farther for Vanderbilt to travel to Hawaii than it is for Nebraska to get to Dublin. It's not the easiest trip in the world to make. And we're talking about a, a program that has been among the worst in the country and in the SEC going on the road, and now you're saying not only should they be favored to win, to lay nine, eight and a half, and say, yeah, you got to win by nine, ten points. That's, that's a lot, man.
1: Vandy was terrible last year. They were. At everything. Uh, they got blown out by East Tennessee State in the opener 23-3. This is, this is just SEC love, just assuming because of the tumult of the offseason – with Hawaii, that they can go down there and win a game easily? One, if you remember Hawaii's season last year, they wound up losing to the Rebels. They actually had a pretty decent season. They weren't—they—they they didn't win two games. They were pretty good. Now Todd Graham was a jackass.
3: They well, and, lost and, a lot of and,
1: guys. And they, but they, they lost a lot of guys. But they bring in two transfer quarterbacks, and they have a quarterback returning. I might argue that all three quarterbacks for Hawaii are better than the starter right for Vanderbilt. I don't know. Is Vanderbilt going to make some big jump up this year? No. I mean, like, so. To me, total. this is. To me, this is. This should have. They probably had it right about a three point game, and then you start factoring in you know the travel and everything else. It's an even game, and now with Hawaii, you're getting nine nine and a half.
3: I mean, there's some odds makers around town that said they made this either Hawaii slight favorite pick or Vandy like minus one. But and and there's one part of the reason the move happened too is there was one very respected group out there that released Vanderbilt minus six and a half. So it just got steamed up, and everybody's chasing it. But screw that, man. I'll take 9.5, and, and if it gets to 10, I'll, I'll dip my toe back in and take 10 with Hawaii. And also, I would also I would ask your thoughts on this. I think a lot of people in, uh, are in that area in Hawaii are pretty fired up to see Timmy Chang as head coach of that team. Oh, it's like the culture change? The, the, I think the home field for the first game in Timmy Chang's tenure might be pretty solid.
1: Well, the only problem with that is they just got funding to increase the capacity for the next two years at this temporary field. The increased capacity... Will be 17,000. Right now, it's like nine. Intimate. <laughs> oh, it's going to be wild with right. the fans are there. Oh, no, the, the culture change, is, I mean, it's, it's massive. This is one of their favorite sons. It's going to take them a little while to get up to speed. But he's also, they're going to run an offense like Timmy Chang ran when he played. Right. So they are going to test the defense. And who knows how many times they throw it a game. 60, 65 times if they have possession. So this could be a wild game. Yep. Give me nine and a half. Well, again. I tell you. I think this one will come down before the game. So, if you want Hawaii plus nine, plus nine and a half. You don't think he gets to ten? If no. he gets to ten, it'll be gone quick. I mean, I guess you could have just the hack betters come in, and, you know, if they've lost all day and they're like, SEC team against Hawaii and uh, a new coach. I'll jump over. I think there's going to be some smart betters later in the day. who are going to grab Hawaii and drive this line down.